Well, welcome to With Tracy. My guest today is probably the most laid-back businessman yeah. I've ever met. With a career that started at the age of 17, he went on to become a multi-entrepreneur and even became a roadie for a while. He now runs his company, Beanie Socks, selling an array of colourful socks and accessories. He lives in one of the most photographed streets in London, has an avid passion for cricket and has a dog called Bandit, even though she's a girl. I'm mm-hmm. delighted that Mr. Steve Bean has agreed to have a chat with me, with Tracy today. So welcome, Steve. Yeah. Uh, so where did life begin and have you always lived in London? I've always lived in London. I went to Seven Oaks School. I was lucky enough to be paid for by my grandfather. I went to boarding school, which I absolutely hated. <laughs> so I left school as quickly as I possibly could. I wanted to earn a living and make money as, as fast as possible. I took the first job, which was working in Thomas Cook's in Berkeley Square. I stayed there for about three months, and then I decided to go into the wine business. So I worked for uh, a company called Ciccone and Speed. And they were wine merchants, Ciccone and Speed? They're big wine merchants. I was going to make a career of the wine business, but one of the people that worked in the same business was a member of the ex-trogs, the band, and he said, why don't you give this up? You're getting eight pounds a week. You can earn a good living and everything will be paid for. So I'm guessing, is that when you became roadie? Because I know people yeah. listening and going to yeah, heard me say that in yeah. the introduction, thinking, where does the roadie bit come in here? Well, because I came from a suburban background and... Seven Oaks School, I'd never heard of the word roadie. So I said to my friend, well, what is a roadie? <laughs> <laughs> so I, anyway, I decided to, that might, that sounds exciting. So I broke away from suburban life and went into the pop world. What a big step. That was a big that was, change. That was a big step. You, you, one minute you're meeting Cliff Richard, Elton John, Dick James, whoever, every band, every band going. <laughs> so I traveled the world in luxury, well paid, money in the bank. But of course it wasn't the sort of job that my parents <laughs> approved of. I can imagine. <laughs> We've spent all this time educating you and you've ended up working for a pop band with this dirty old van parked outside their house. I mean, I, mean, I can imagine it was great fun. I mean, but was, was there money? Was it good for money then? Or? It was, everything was paid for. So you were paid at the end of the month and that was in the bank and stayed there for, you know, years. <laughs> But at the same time, I had a lot of spare time. Sometimes we worked three days a month, sometimes less than that. So I decided to do some um, promotions. So I promoted all these bands in the Guildford Civic Hall. And I met lots of people, including Elton John. In fact, my claim to fame is that I said no to Elton John. The first, the first gig we, the first gig, the first gig we had, this friend and myself, we set up this um, concert for 
you know, one Saturday night in the Guildford Civic Hall. It's a thousand seats. Elton John asked if he could play as the second band. And I said you no. You said no. And I said no to him. But you're and, at, you didn't actually didn't. make the cut either in Rocket Man then. No. And in fact, Elton John, Elton John came to, he came up to the concert and, and he sat in the crowd. What a wonderful story. Yeah. So, so that is a, you know, that was a claim to fame. So I gave up the trogs after two and a half years because it was, I considered it would be a, not a, not something I could do forever. No. Even though I really enjoyed it and we had lots of fun and lots of experiences. Yeah, I'm sure. And um, so sort of selling <clears throat> tickets or promoting bands yeah, yeah. In, in Guildford, yeah. that was obviously your first foray into being your own, own, running your own business, really. That's right, it was. So as you can imagine, at 18 or between 18 and 19, that, that was quite quite risky. So I was risking all the money I had. We had to pay paying in advance for all the bands. We couldn't have any credit whatsoever. So we usually, I think, we only lost money one um, one night out of all the, you know, all the bands we had, mm. which was good. So it was, yes, it was the first time that I sort of, I was involved with a business. Yeah, and then you've gone on then from there. I know you've been involved in setting up and yeah. or being part of other businesses. Would you like to expand a little bit on that? Well, my oldest friend that I was at boarding school with, he went into the clothing business and he said, why don't you come and join me in Fulham Road? Actually, I've missed out one thing because I had this clothes shop. It was called Sam Pig in Love. <laughs> so, Paul and I, so Paul and I had this clothes shop for a short period of time and then I went and worked with him in um, Fulham Road. So that's where I started in the clothing business. Yeah, yeah. And was it? And were you selling any type of clothing or was that, it for women, men? Well, uh, Paul Reeves was great friends with Jimmy Page and Peter Grant. And they bought the premises, you know, they owned all the premises. So he rented the shop from them. So we had, it was quite stable. Um, we, we were selling everything from skirts, dresses, tops, shoes, everything. Yeah, yeah. And we supplied Harrods, Selfridges, um, John Lewis, all the top stores. So very trend led for the time. So, but I did that for I did that for two or three years, and then then I set up on my own. And subsequently, I met the person that started Mulberry, just by luck on a Sunday. In fact, we I'd sit, a friend of mine said, "Meet me for a drink in the Labrick Arms." <laughs> And I'm going to introduce you to Roger Saul, mm. who's got this small belt range. <clears throat> Is that how he started, just with belts? Yeah, no, that's how he started. So he started, in fact, what happened was I met Roger and we had had a chat and he said, would you like to sell these belts for me? So I said, well, I'll have a look at them. And he, his girlfriend then delivered these, this box of belts around to me because <laughs> we lived around the corner. And I said, I looked at them and I said, well, there's no way that they're going to sell because 
they weren't displayed. I mean, there was no, they were just a box of belts. So that's how we invented this, oh. we invented this um, way of displaying belts, which can come on the, these rolls, like carpet rolls. Oh my goodness. So by creating or developing that, that helped sell the belts. I just love the fact that, you know, a brand that is now, you know, mm. known worldwide. And, mm. and obviously I understand that, you know, yeah. Roger sold, sold that out many mm. years ago. But even so, you know, to create a brand like mm. that, and it started mm-hmm. with some belts that were delivered to you in a box and you created yeah. a way of merchandising and showcasing those yeah. belts is, is fantastic. But this, the, I was selling other products then as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The belts really were very, it was a minor thing. Yeah. I was selling jeans that were very successful and so forth. And anyway, the, one of the other things that Roger would be, might be pleased to hear is we became very good friends. And one day he said, can you meet me actually in the, the same pub? And he said, I've got this problem. My girlfriend has said, if she, if I don't stop traveling around the world, buying the leathers and, and, and so forth, she's going to leave me. So he said, what do you think I should do? Shall I give up Mulberry and stay with her? Or shall I let her go her way? So I said, I'll just let her go away. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, Mulberry wouldn't have survived otherwise. No, no. So it's quite interesting. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I love the history. I'm yeah. sure anyone listening to this will just love those stories, you know, yeah. especially, as I say, because Mulberry is so well known. Um, so varied career, many... So we spent with Mulberry. Mm-hmm. The, Mulberry was 12 years of time. Mulberry was spending a lot of time a lot of time traveling, a lot of time working at exhibitions. You know, sometimes we'd be working eight or 10 weeks, nonstop, Saturday, Sunday, all the time. Mm. And very good money. Mm. Mm. So in th- those days, pro rata to the way things are now, that was, you know, was extremely good, extremely good money. You know, I was going to ask you actually um, about that, you know, mm-hmm. how you feel things have changed since when you started out and perhaps mm-hmm. you, know, you were working with Roger and, mm-hmm. and running up other businesses to mm-hmm. what it's like today, mm-hmm. um, like in the textiles of clothing industry. Well, well, today, retail has just changed so dramatically. I mean, the high street is decimated. Making contact with people, unless you've got those contacts, would be extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. And... It was starting off, I think, very, very hard. Mm. But I think you've got to persevere. But people that start off now and persevere, you know, they've, I, they've got... Um, I really admire them. Mm-hmm. But it's very... I mean, it, it's always been hard, I think. But, you know, nowadays it must be even harder getting off, you know, getting off the ground. Yeah, yeah. And like you said earlier... You know, you were putting in long hours. I think people have to realise that even today, you know, if you want to make something happen, mm. you've really got to make work yeah. hard to make it happen. Very hard. Um, yeah. It doesn't just happen. Well, <laughs> well, I think the thing is, in retrospect, when when I think about it, I was very lazy at school, did as little as little as possible, and so forth. But except for the sport, when I was playing cricket, of course. 
But the as soon as I left school, I don't know why, but I worked incredibly hard. Mm. So I, I went from one extreme to the other. I don't know why that happened, but but I've always been happy to work hard, work long hours. I wonder sometimes if it's, you know, when someone's funneled down a route they really don't want to go down, but then obviously once you've got out, maybe slight restriction <laughs> of school and having to do things you didn't particularly want to do, mm. but you're out in that big wide world. And mm. I think you said right from the beginning, mm. you were just keen to get out there and actually mm. make money and be, mm. and be independent, I guess. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. No, I think being independent and having the opportunity to be involved in exciting things. It's easy to work hard when you're doing something interesting, exciting, and you're getting paid well. Yes. And you're earning good money out of it. Yeah. So there is a money motivation (laughs) as well. Yeah, Yeah, totally. So we move on to currently you run your company called Beanie Socks. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and but it's not just about socks, is mm. it? No, but between between the period of time that I was talking about before, I had the Mulberry Shoe Company, which I was in. I was a director of the Mulberry Shoe Company, which was separate from Mulberry Company. I had another company called Beanie and Stewart, which was a knitwear company, and another one called Robert Weldon, which is also knitwear. So I was heavily involved in knitwear. So possibly the socks came about because of the the knitwear and the contacts on the knitwear side. So you're going to ask me, why did I get involved in the socks? Yeah. Well, I got involved in the socks because Robert Weldon, the knitwear designer that I worked with, also worked with this person called Thomas Woolley, who had a knit, who had a sock factory, and his family had the sock factory since the mid-Victorian times. Oh wow! So similarly, and with I, a name like Woolley. Woolley, yeah, I know, <laughs> like Woolley. And the t- Thomas, he approached me, and I did the same with Roger Saul. Funnily enough, I said, well, I, you know, "Why would I want to sell this these socks?" I mean, it's not, it wasn't really, it, it didn't seem to be commercially interesting. Anyway, I got involved in that, and that, that set off a path. So, in a way, I sort of said no to these belts because I just thought they you know, would be a waste of time. <laughs> and then the socks, the same. So, you got involved in relatively minor looking things that became major things. Yeah, yeah. But of course, you make them, you, you, you know, you make them into major things. Yeah. As it worked out, Thomas Woolley has always been my mentor, and now I've got to I've got to my age. The I've, I have mentors myself, so it it is quite it is quite amazing. Thomas wouldn't like to be considered to be a, a mentor, but um, the sock business is the is the business that I'm. Yeah, passionate about. It's interesting you mention mentoring or being mentored <clears throat> because obviously that's something that you know I I do do and and, and um, I just think and, and I, I have also been mentored and I think a mm. lot of people in business always say that it's been very important for them down the road mm-hmm. or on their journey to have a mentor mm. that they can really speak to mm-hmm. and can share things and mm. give advice. So mm. that's great that you're saying that because a lot of people I think a mentor is really important mm. for them to help them make those decisions. 
So um, Bee Socks, um, and on your website, it says from Soho to Portobello Road. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that it's pretty much a family-run business. Was mm. that a conscious decision you made, or and would you would you recommend what? keeping a business in the family? <laughs> I think that um, it's probably a good idea. You've spent a lot of time building up something. It's much better if it can progress and survive. Mm-hmm. And if it's with a family, that's good. Yeah, I guess it's as much as you get on with your family and they have if, a role to play. But I would say it doesn't have to be, though. I deal with a lot of family companies. Mm. I think I can see where there can be downsides mm. to family companies, and there often are. Yeah. I mean, they're feuds and so forth. But um, in, it's worked worked well so far. Yeah, it works well for you and yeah. Yeah. Beanie Socks. So, um, Steve, I know that there are always some challenges when running mm. a business, and mm. I just like you to share. You know, if you had a few, on, I'm sure you've had mm. more than a few on, on on your journey. But is there one or two that you could mention particularly, and, and how you kind of got over those and resolved those? Sometimes you get involved with companies that can take you over or they can get under your under your skin or to you know depends how you look at it but i've had one experience where i was heavily involved with one particular company and it led to sleepless nights um, stretching oneself financially having to deal with terrible people mm. and that that is hard but once you've got through that and there are companies out there that are very difficult to deal with then at least you can you know that you can cope with it mm. do you feel you're at a stage now where you can almost not quite pick and choose but actually if a company is proving too challenging actually mm. it's not it's not worth the effort almost mm. it's not that easy just to pick and choose because there aren't that many businesses out there to, to deal with. So mm-hmm. you, you've got to get a balance. Mm-hmm. I think the, the best thing is to have a, a good cross-section of people that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So if one or two you know, drop off, then you've still got a, a good balance. You, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, that's for certain. No, no, exactly. And but I guess at the end of the day, it's, it's always about building relationships, isn't it? And making the effort to build those relationships, mm. um, yeah, for, for both parties, really. But I think it's a good. It is a, it's good experience to know that you can cope with the most difficult, mm. the most difficult companies because there are plenty of them. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. You can deal with those, and you can deal with anyone. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Once you've actually, once you know that, once you've done it, then you've learned from your experience and. Mm-hmm. It, the learning curve is you even at this age it's a learning curve yeah never stop learning so I am going to change tack here and you mentioned cricket earlier I know you absolutely love it mm. I'd like to ask you you know what got you into cricket and why do you love it so much mm. well it's a family it's a family love my father was he was in he played for Kent cricket and then he became latterly the oldest president of Kent. He would have liked to have played cricket all the time. When he went to boarding school, he would have been happy to stay at boarding school for the rest of his life. 
just so that he could play cricket and play sport. But when he when he met my he used to say he said that when he met my mother and and decided that they were going to get married, it was a choice between cricket and getting married. And he always said he took the wrong decision. <laughs> I like the way throughout this conversation the women have slightly been done down. <laughs> Roger gave up his girlfriend for. Yeah. <laughs> and I gave the good advice. All the right decisions. Yeah, no, all yeah. Right decisions, I'm sure. But my father loved my mother more than anything. Oh. So, um, anyway, so we, my brother and myself, have had a passion for cricket. We're both MCC members. You have to really understand cricket get into cricket but once once you have it's it's a, it's a superb sport my father always used to say that life life would be empty without sport <laughs> and i would agree with that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because i like lots of sports but obviously cricket i like the most and do you play sport as well as follow it well obviously when i played when i was young i was yeah. very good um, <laughs> obviously yeah <laughs> But I haven't played for some time now. <laughs> but if you play, if you're interested in cricket, you, you play in your dreams, and you still think that you're a fast bowler, and you still think that you, you're good at batting, and you still think you can achieve all these things, which of course you can't. <laughs> now I always think, you know, when you run successful businesses, and I hope you won't mind me saying that you've done that for a fair number of years. What does an average day look? look like for you now Steve can you kind of take a little bit of a back seat on things or um, I don't start as early as I used to I, I still work quite long hours but I'm working less less days a week and as I've got my son working with me he's taking a lot of the workload away the, the work seems to be more the day to day business side as opposed to the sales side mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the sales side that's what I'm best at <laughs> and have you found it hard to take a step back because many entrepreneurs I know and business owners do find it hard to sort of delegate and take a step back um, I think I, I think I have found it quite hard <laughs> I have to tell everyone that his wife's here and she's nodding vigorously <laughs> um, Eileen my secretary was saying that you're not a good administrator. <laughs> you're good at bringing the business. You're good. That's mm. what you're good at. That's what you're good so, at. So, yeah. but you end up there's a lot of what I call day-to-day business, which is bit, a bit monotonous. Yeah, yeah. You but like it, being at the forefront. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Getting them to sign on the dotted line. Yeah. Get those contracts in. Um, so, when it comes to the end of the interview, Steve, you'll be pleased to know, I'm sure. But um, what does the future look like then? Be so. So, what does the future look look like for you, Steve? I mean, you're obviously taking a little step back, but where's Beanie Socks going? I think Beanie Socks has, from my side, has got four or five years to go. Ah, uh, right, okay. But Tristan will take it to an, another level, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. The new, next generation coming through. To push Beanie Socks mm. forward. That's exciting though, isn't mm. it? I think that that will, I think it has definitely got a, a long term future. Yeah. So, Steve, mm. where can we find Beanie Socks? Because I know they're not always branded as Beanie Socks, but they are out there. So. If you go to the retail outlet Kilver Court in Somerset, which is owned by Roger Saul, 
you can find all every sock going, Great. every shooting sock, every women's sock, every men's sock, every trainer sock, <laughs> everything, plus all our other accessories, which are wallets, ties, bags. And you have a website. And a website, which is Beanie Socks. Beanie Socks. So there you go. And you'll probably, many of you are wearing Beanie Socks. They just don't have to have the Beanie logo on them. Yeah. But if you go to Somerset or if you go online, you can yeah. get the, the logo. And if you go to Nantucket in America, <laughs> you'll find them as well. <laughs> so one piece of advice for anyone listening who are mm. uh, thinking about, you know, taking mm. the next step into a, maybe a, you know, owning their own business or making a change. Persevere, don't give up, I would say. Fantastic. There, right to the point. Steve, thank you so much for okay. being with Tracy today. That's a pleasure. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you.